0: hello and welcome to the gestalt it rundown for december 16th 2020 my name is tom hollingsworth and i am your jovial host today and joining me is the man the myth and the star of all of the legends mr stephen foskett stephen thanks for joining us
1: thank you very much tom for the introduction it's nice to be here
0: as always. yeah it it's been a busy week, we, we've, we've had some pretty interesting news stories that have come out, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, I think we want to dive right in. Uh, we're going to jump into our, our favorite opening segment, News or not. Nah. Here's where we take some stories that have been in the news, but we're going to decide if they're newsworthy or not, and maybe give you a little bit of perspective on why we think that is. And uh, the first one, of course, is the fact that it appears to, that every company in the world is now fleeing Silicon Valley. Uh, Texas appears to be getting another California expatriate because Oracle has announced that they are gonna move their global headquarters out of Redwood City and they're gonna move into Austin. Uh, They already have had a campus there since 2018. Uh, We're pretty sure that this is a confirmation that people are moving to Texas because the labor costs are a whole lot cheaper out there because honestly, that's why Oracle said they built their campus two years ago in the first place. However, there is one Oracle employee who has elected to not move to Texas. Friend of the show, Larry Ellison has decided that he is going to exercise his work from home option quite literally. He has already moved to Hawaii, to Lanai, which is the island that he bought for $500 million. And he will be using Zoom to connect with all of the Oracle employees going forward. I personally figured that Larry wasn't gonna move to Texas anyway, because there isn't a body of water big enough around Austin for him to put his gigantic sailboat into. Um, Steven? Does this mean we're gonna see a lot more companies moving out of California that we have Oracle and HPE kind of heading to Texas? Certainly seems that way. In fact, uh, the
1: next speculation is Tesla. Um, Elon Musk has apparently moved to Austin as well and um, is planning on uh, maybe relocating Tesla Tesla to Texas. I think that um, like we talked about with HPE, I think it's the same story with Oracle. This is a corporate financial play it's all about you know, funny money um, from a taxing perspective, and also, as you mentioned, about the availability of less expensive labor. I mean, that being said though, uh, Austin isn't looking that much less expensive anymore. I have a feeling that uh, uh, it's gonna take maybe one or two tech moves uh, to make Austin just another Bay Area. Sorry, Weird Austin, you ain't weird anymore. And as for Larry working from home, first of all, Larry, thanks for listening to the show every week. We love your feedback. Um, I know that we've been critical sometimes, but it's good to have you listening. Uh, the other thing is, um, you know, frankly, if I owned an island in the Hawaiian chain, I might live there too. Um, I don't know, it reflects the nature of change of work and um, and the fact that, uh, that companies can basically domicile wherever they want. Um, the fact that some of these big tech companies are finally doing it is, um, You know, I I think this is the sign of things to come. Um, Man, I'm gonna shed a tear when Apple moves out of uh, Cupertino.
0: Yeah, considering that they're building HQ2 in Austin, that's a possibility at this point. But considering that Apple has more money than they know what to do with, I don't think they care.
1: Yep. So, in other news, Tom, uh, GDPR has finally sunk its teeth into an American company, sort of. The uh, Irish Data Protection Commission announced yesterday that they are fining Twitter uh, $546,000 for a violation of GDPR uh, related to a 2018 incident that let uh, private tweets be exposed for a short period of time. Um, This fine isn't very large, but it does represent a landmark of the EU law being uh, enforced against a US company. Uh, Twitter admits fault and says that it uh, has complied with the breach reporting uh, since the incident
0: uh, is GDPR getting real uh, in the U.S. Tom, news or not? I think this is news. Just the the amounts a pittance. Five hundred and forty-eight thousand is like two days of ad revenue when you think about it um this is more about the fact that gdpr is now saying hey if you have presence here we're we're gonna stick it out because there were people who were legitimately curious as to whether or not they would try to make this happen Um, also when you consider that california passed the ccpa this past year and i'm starting to see a lot of people when there are problems saying oh well we've made our gdpr and ccpa notifications i think american companies are starting to figure out that this whole thing is serious and while the fines may be comically small now I think for repeat offenders and people who just don't seem to give a crap, the fines are gonna get worse and the court cases are gonna get longer.
1: Yeah, I think that it's about time Americans started taking GDPR seriously. Uh, and and basically CCPA is is GDPR 2.0 and, uh, and it affects Americans and American companies. And we're all gonna to have to deal with that. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> um, does this mean that companies are gonna keep your data safe or does it just mean that companies are gonna be paying more and more fines? I don't know.
0: I would hope it's the former, but I think we all know, at least for the foreseeable future, it's probably the latter. Steven, it's been a big week for Intel because today they launched a number of next-generation products, including SSDs and a new version of their persistent memory DIMM. Given the schism between Intel and Micron recently, and then there was that spinoff of Intel's NAND flash and SSD division to SK Hynix, um, what should we make of this announcement that came out?
1: Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, well, first, full disclosure, Intel is a Gestalt IT um, customer. And um, we they are actually paying us to cover um, this event. And we're actually doing a Tech Field Day uh, exclusive event today with Intel. And um, as part of that, we're discussing all these topics. But that being said, my honest opinion is that this thing is um, it's kind of a confusing launch. Because effectively, half the products being launched today are going to be SK Hynix products as soon as the deal is approved. And half the people presenting these products are going to be SK Hynix employees as soon as the deal is approved. So I mean, effectively, we've got a really strange situation where the Intel Memory and Storage division, um, which is a new Intel division um, to promote Optane and NAND and SSD, is being split in half. and, um, And they're launching a bunch of products. That being said, some of the products are sort of meh. Uh, honestly, uh, my opinion on the client, SSDs is okay. Um, the, the, but the big news, honestly, is apart from a uh, giant Mungus uh, ruler SSD that is kind of cool, is um, these two products that they've recently announced um, or that they announced today. Uh, one of them is a giant super fast SSD with PCIe-4. Um, and next generation Optane memory. Um, This thing is insane in terms of performance and capacity. But the one thing that really caught my eye is that Intel has added a special small block mode to it. So like basically uh, writes below like 512. Um, It can push, you know, just tremendous IOPS. It's like basically optimized for tiny, tiny writes, which is basically database. Um, That's pretty cool. Um, It's also a PCIe 4 SSD, which means that it's really not designed for the current generation um, of Xeon. This is for the next generation Xeon that Intel has been sort of talking about that's going to support PCIe 4. So this is basically the marquee storage partner for the next generation Xeon, and that's cool. And speaking of marquee products, the other thing they launched is the second generation of the Optane DIMM. you know, again, this is the, the thing that treats Optane as memory, not as storage, and it fits in DIM slots. Um, this is probably the biggest news today. So they've announced the persistent memory 200 series uh, modules. Now this is something they've been talking about we've heard about before. Now we get more numbers, we get more visibility into it. And this thing is so cool. I mean, effectively, you know, how would you like terabytes of memory in your server? Um, Intel, uh, by the way, is smartly positioning this thing as a partner, not for normal small servers, but for big mega core servers. The, The kind of servers that you can't load up with enough DRAM. So basically what the, the idea would be is that you'd have tiered memory, that you'd load it up with a bunch of DRAM and a few of these Optane DIMs, and that that would be enough to saturate those many, many core servers. And frankly, it's an exciting product. So I'm, I'm positive about what Intel's doing, especially on the Optane side, which is the side that Intel's keeping. Um, the other side, the client and SSDs and then the multi-layer NAND flash and all that kind of stuff, cool, I guess. I don't even know if we would report on that if it hadn't been for the Optane Next Generation.
0: And that could have been the situation, honestly, is that they wanted to clear the pipeline of all the stuff that was in process before the sale was announced. And oh, hey, by the way, here's some other really cool stuff that we're keeping and you get to buy from us soon. Absolutely. So, um, Tom, it wouldn't be December
1: or Christmas without an acquisition story. The training provider Pluralsight, which is really familiar to our audience and our field day delegates, it's being snapped up by Vista equity partners for three and a half billion dollars. Pluralsight went public in 2018 and the purchase price is seen as a good value from their stock price. Um, The IT training market is heating up with the current state of the world forcing more people to work from home and more demand for IT staff. Um, Is Pluralsight's acquisition news? Uh, Should we expect more of this stuff?
0: I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see a two-fold problem where uh, equity partners are going to be leveraging these huge stock gains that they've had over the last year to do something with that stock price before it collapses and honestly if you're in the mood to buy somebody buying a training partner that can offer at-home training to people stuck at home while they're trying to learn things or while they're trying to work from home is a huge win But don't get crazy yet. I think what this was was the perfect storm of Pluralsight wanting to be in growth mode and realizing they couldn't get it done with their current stock offering. So they needed somebody to get inject some capital. And if you read the the article that we're gonna link in the show notes, I mean, TechCrunch really was like, hey, the company that gets acquired says, this is a great thing, surprise, surprise. Um, But what I think you're going to see is you're going to see a quick land rush on companies who are offering training. And when you consider that a lot of those providers are rather small, I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement, but I think we may see some consolidation at the bottom end. And then you know maybe three four companies get bought merged together come you know like a competitor to Plural Site and then that market will run for a couple of years until we're back kind of really in person and stuff like that and then we'll have another shakeout so news congrats to the Plural Site people but I don't think this is going to be something that's going to like drive the industry in a completely different direction
1: yeah I mean honestly I'm, I'm just hoping that they don't ruin Plural Site it's been a pretty popular um, training site um, you know people. People like the, the transparency and the fact that it passes money through to the uh, the trainers in a pretty uh, po- you know, positive way compared to some of these other training sites, which honestly are just horrible scams. Pluralsight has actually been a pretty good one. Um, mm-hmm. Please private equity, please help Pluralsight continue. That's my my Christmas wish.
0: How many times do we have to say that to big companies? Please don't screw up our favorite small companies. All right, Steven, uh, that will just about do it for News or Nah. Uh, We, you know, we had some good stuff, but here's some stories that I think we want to dig a little bit deeper into. And the first story is about Linux. CentOS is starting to make some waves in their company, in their community, and I really don't think that it's in a good way. The distribution, which was a community rebuild of Red Hat Enterprise Linux going back many, many years announced this week that they're gonna move away from that model of rebuilding the freely available Red Hat Enterprise Linux packages. And they're gonna focus on CentOS Stream, which is a pre-release software model that was announced uh, a little while back. Um, Now, this is really rankling the CentOS community pretty hard because a lot of people use CentOS as a way to make package compatible applications for Red Hat Enterprise Linux without having to pay for a Red Hat Enterprise Linux support contract or any of that other stuff. Now. Here's where it gets a little weird. So I didn't know this until I was doing some research into this, but CentOS was actually partnered with Red Hat about four years ago because there was some community kerfuffle and Red Hat stepped in to save the project. But when you look at the terms of the way that Red Hat started to jump into the project, it wasn't really a partnership. It was more of an acquisition. They had a board that now had to have the majority of it be Red Hat people. So I think what you're going to run into is that this was a long time coming and this was just D-Day for them the support model is also going to change so if you're a CentOS user you need to know this the latest version CentOS 8 is going to run out of support next year so no 10 years of support for you guys CentOS 7 which was released in 2014 will have that 10-year model which will not run out until 2024 now here's where I'm kind of curious Stephen, because I've used CentOS in the past and I'm sure that you have because you're a huge Linux fan Is this a big warning flag for people who want to get maybe like a a, a big commercial maintainer to come in and help them with a project where it directly competes against the commercial interests of the company?
1: Yeah, I think that that's really the the important thing to keep in mind here. So, I mean, we got to understand that like this is open source, like free and open source software here. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, CentOS was basically created as a... RHEL without the Red Hat trademarks. I mean, essentially they, they took, um, I mean, back up here, originally there was Red Hat Linux, which was just basically a, a Linux for nerds like me with CD-ROM drives downloading from the internet right in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was Fedora, um, which was sort of the open source, um, you know, Linux as Red Hat created Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, so RHEL um, was their basically their paid product And then Fedora was their free open source um, and kind of leading edge uh, distribution of Linux. Um, Eventually somebody took the the RHEL code base and and, and basically started creating, and and a few people did this, started creating their own um, Red Hat Enterprise Linux without the Red Hat name distribution. Eventually that became CentOS. Then uh, CentOS screwed up and, and Red Hat ended up kind of scooping it up um, and now Red Hat's killing CentOS, and um, you know you can kind of understand why they would do this, because CentOS, CentOS really is their primary product. I mean, it it, it followed the same release cadence, um, it followed the same release numbers in recent years. RHEL actually adopted CentOS's uh, version numbering, and um, and and as of like you know version seven uh, and version eight. Uh, they're basically identical products except without the red hat trademarks and without red hat support and i think that what uh, it, it makes sense that red hat would be like hang on here like like why is there like an identical free product to the one that we sell and, and uh, you know as an open source guy i would say because that's a really good idea you know i mean it, it, it frankly boggles my mind <laughs> That Red Hat wouldn't want CentOS out there, you know, kind of paving the way for RHEL uh, uh, customers uh, to basically, you know, like you said, kind of develop on CentOS and then move up to RHEL. Um, it, it's a good business model. It's the Red Hat business model. Killing it is really weird to me. It's important to note too that CentOS will continue. Uh, there's the CentOS stream which is basically kind of halfway between Fedora and RHEL in terms of, um, you know, kind of cutting edge features and next generation features. Um, The one important thing to note about CentOS Stream is that it's not going to be hard versioned like like CentOS. So essentially it's gonna see continual updates, continual releases, and that those things are then gonna be packaged into RHEL releases um, sort of behind the times. Anyway, the, the bottom line is, CentOS is gone. You know Red Hat acquired it, Red Hat killed it. The warning as you, as you said, Tom, is um, you know when you have these things that are basically an open source spinoff of the free of the, the paid product, um, there's going to be a lot of people in that paid company asking themselves, how come we're letting this happen? How come we're letting this continue? and how can we stop this? And it appears that Red Hat has stopped this. Um, you know, yeah. frankly, uh, full disclosure, I'm an Ubuntu user. Um, <laughs> like I, I, doesn't affect me. Apparently a lot of people are looking at SUSE as well, um, but um, this this is bad. And 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 one more thing, the worst aspect of this in my mind is the fact that they're deprecating CentOS 8 early. That's not cool. Long-term support LTS is, is, is an important um, consideration in the open source world. Um, I'm a big believer in running only LTS versions of Ubuntu in production um, because, you know, like I'll be able to use that for like 10 years. Um, If you made a bet on CentOS 8, assuming that it was going to be available for like, you know, till like 2030 something, um, that's not a good situation for you. Um, I think that that right there is the biggest misstep here. They should have continued support for CentOS 8 according to the original long-term support model instead of deprecating it early. In fact, deprecating it before CentOS 7. Anyway, I, this is my opinion. I think that Red Hat is making a mistake here, um, but it's an understandable mistake because, you know, they're a big company and this is kind of the things that big companies do.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't like this move at all. I, I was a huge fan of of the the CentOS when it first came out. Um, I don't think Red Hat needed a a Red Hat SID version like Debian has. Nobody runs Debian Debian SID. Only the crazy people do. And part of the reason why they wanted CentOS was because it was stable. Maybe it wasn't like, you know, behind the time stable, but it was something that people could work with. And in a world where we're moving to a freemium in-app purchase model, where you can download something, play with it. If you like it, you can pay for it. That's literally what they're killing here. I hope the people that are at, you know, Red Hat, IBM, whoever is making the decisions over there, they considered this carefully because, well, you know what's gonna happen. The people who were running the project are probably just gonna go have a beer and then, hey, magically in this bar, as we're all having a beer, here's a new distribution with all the serial numbers filed off once again.
1: And that actually already exists. Uh, There's a new distribution called Rocky that is named after one of the founders of CentOS and is CentOS, it is Red Hat Enterprise Linux without the Red Hat trademarks. So if you're a big CentOS fan, maybe check out Rocky. So there was another huge story, in fact, a story that transcended tech this week, Tom, and I think this is the big story of the week. Um, It's not looking good for SolarWinds when normal non-tech people start trying to figure out whether it's called solar wind or solar winds. When the uh, New York Times features their logo on the front page, um, that's the kind of week SolarWinds been having. Um, the network monitoring giant uh, disclosed that their flagship Orion platform was breached in an attack that targeted the uh, this update supply chain. Um, this attack uh, injected a signed DLL that sent data back to outside servers and opened a door for them to come in. Uh, the attack was called Sunburst and apparently it affected uh, 18,000 customers since March. Um, uh, FireEye reportedly was attacked uh, last week as we talked about And uh, this could have been the vector for that attack. And um, frankly, this also could be the vector for a lot of attacks in the US government. Um, Apparently, uh, they're trying to contain the situation. Um, CISA has directed um, the US government um, agencies to power down their Orion servers until they can be patched and verified. Um, The crew behind this attack is suspected to be Russia, fancy bear. Um, And they're going to uh, identify them and find out how deep this goes. Um, Tom, this is bad news, but what does it mean going forward for SolarWinds users?
0: Yeah, Stephen, the last 72 hours of news stories about this have just been one crazy thing after another. So first of all, the crew was able to completely backdoor the supply chain. That's bad. Remember when that super micro story supposedly broke from Bloomberg a couple years ago and we were all freaking out because they can get into our stuff before we can even deploy it? That's where you're at now they're targeting government agencies because that's one of the the critical infrastructure pieces that a lot of people run is a network monitoring solution okay bad enough i have seen stories where the update server's password was solarwinds123 i have seen that the uh command and control url that the malware uses to check in and verify things a consortium of tech companies last night acquired that domain name and gave it to microsoft to shut down the cnc servers as of this morning, Windows Defender is now um, quarantining and isolating processes from Orion. Yeah, you don't want Microsoft shutting your system down because you can't control things. Now, in the interest of fairness, we have done a lot of work with SolarWinds over the years through a lot of the things that they've been working on through their platforms, through their social media outreach. Um, a lot of our um, community members have done a lot of coverage of SolarWinds you know, from a lot of the things that they've done. So we know the team there at SolarWinds. We know that they're capable. We know that this is a very popular platform. And I think that that's the reason why they got targeted is because, you know, if you want to break in to a building, you you go in as the people that have to keep the lights on, but that nobody notices. You know, if you want to break into a big high-rise building, go in as a plumber or delivery person. Don't go in as like the CEO in a suit and a tie because people are going to notice that. Um, the other thing that really, really worries me here is the FireEye part. So we covered the FireEye story last week right when it was breaking. And, and the, you know, all the things that came out, so, you know, Russian attribution, they were sniffing around looking for customers who were government employees, but no critical data got breached. Now here's a big question that I have. FireEye was supposedly on the verge of figuring this thing out when they got hacked. I'm wondering if the crew that was responsible for that used this as a backdoor to get into them to figure out who knew and who how much FireEye knew and who was a customer of FireEye that would soon figure out that these guys had a backdoor into their system. Because if you want to gather intelligence on a company or on a group or on a government in the middle of a big transition period, this is a great way to do it. And you definitely don't want to get caught. I I just I, my heart goes out to the people at SolarWinds because they're in full-on damage control mode from now until whenever. And you know the patches have been flying out. People have been cracking or pulling them apart and analyzing them. Uh, surprisingly enough, do you know why 18,000 wasn't a bigger number? There were a lot of people who just didn't update their SolarWinds servers. And so if you didn't update after, be, after before, I'm sorry, if you didn't update after March when this was injected into the supply chain, you're probably okay. You still need to go check though and that to me has a lot to say about corporate culture but also the fact that we just don't audit updates we just assume that they're good
1: yeah i think that there's there's so many things to unpack in this story tom um you know another thing that i'll, I'll call attention to is uh, there's some speculation that it may actually have been um a very clever a- attack um related to two-f- two-factor authentication Um, Mm. So essentially what we're hearing, and and again, I'm not trying to give SolarWinds a free pass, do not think that, but effectively what we're hearing is, um, I misspoke before, this apparently was Cozy Bear, APT-29, not Fancy Bear, Um, both Russians, uh, just different Russians. Um, This uh, apparently was quite a major attack on SolarWinds before it was an attack on anyone else. Um, apparently, there was some, some serious um, work that was done to get into SolarWinds, um, you know, test and development side, um, and, and using some very, very advanced technology. So, um, like you say, my heart goes out to SolarWinds because I know people like to criticize them, but frankly, this attack, um, they might have gotten anyone with this attack. The problem is that what they got was, as you mentioned, like, I likened it to like the garage door opener in your house or something like that. I mean, effectively, um, this is not the front door. This is not even the back door. This is, you know, uh, utility, um, you know, operations monitoring, that kind of thing. And, um, and the fact that they were able to get into that, allowed them to get into so many other systems that uh, suddenly that that major attack on solar winds becomes understandable because effectively they invested tremendous amounts of resources to get into this one company and it let them get into everybody else. Another thing I'll point out is that this is revealing some problems with the security um, posture at many companies and organizations because frankly, um, you know, getting into your Orion uh, monitoring server should not get somebody into everything else. Um, you know, I mean, what, what, that, that, that's an eggshell security model where you basically, you know, fortify the edge and then you don't worry about security internally um, or at least you don't worry as much. Frankly, a monitoring server, yeah, it's bad. It should um, be protected, but, you know, if your data isn't protected inside as well, then that's, you know, that's kind of a problem too. So what happened here like I said is is imagine if somebody opens your garage door. Like do they then have access to the house? Do they then have access to your jewelry um, upstairs in the bedroom in the vault, you know? If if you've had a good security posture um, maybe not, and hopefully some of these 18,000 companies do have that good security posture. I'm not trying to throw stones here. I think that there's a very good chance that an organization like the NSA, who apparently used SolarWinds Orion, um, has pretty good security around some of their valuable data, and probably this didn't get, you know, the the, the bears in. But on the other hand, um, many organizations frankly don't. A lot of organizations, as was pointed out, run monitoring software as admin. Um, a lot of organizations apparently are running this as domain admin. Um uh, please don't do that. And um and that basically opens the a lot of doors. It, you know, effectively, you know, that's you know, leaving the door to your house open, leaving your jewelry on the dresser. Um somebody might get it. Uh anyway, it, it, this is a huge situation um and and frankly this shows what's going on in cybersecurity today and um, it's just a bad scene, it's just a really bad scene.
0: Yeah, I think we're gonna be hearing a lot more about this and considering the the moves that have been made and the, the number of companies whose internal domain name structure is popping up in this sinkhold uh, domain name that Microsoft is administering right now, I don't think we've seen the last of the disclosures of who is about to have some very bad um, filings as far as as, as what happened. So we will, of course, keep you guys updated on the rundown because, well, that's what we do. We we want you guys to keep up with the news. Well, that should just about do it for our uh, rundown for this week for December the 16th. Uh, we hope that everybody's staying safe and warm out there and uh, that you are tuning in with us every week at 1230 Eastern Time on Wednesday to kind of keep up with what's going on. Um, If you would like to listen to this as a podcast, uh, because we do the audio podcast feed, you can always uh, open up your favorite podcast application of choice and search for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Um, You can also watch us on our website at gestaltit.com, on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo, or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gestaltit. Um, Stephen, what have you got in store for us this week, and where can we go to learn more about what you're up to? Well, last week was
1: uh, Tech Field Day, and we posted, uh, I don't know, 25 hours of video to our YouTube channel recently. Um, And as I said, today is the Intel uh, special announcement. So if you've been interested in what we talked about with uh, Intel's uh, storage and uh, persistent memory, please do uh, head to techfieldday.com or youtube slash techfieldday and uh, watch the discussions there. I'm actually going to be hosting a roundtable discussion this afternoon that we're going to be posting where uh, we're going to kind of react to that news in a little bit more length um, with the field day delegates. So again, if that section of today's uh, rundown interested you, um, you know, check out the roundtable at least
0: all right well thank you Stephen. and if you want to check out some of the stuff that i'm doing head over to gestaltit.com tomorrow we'll be publishing uh the last episode of F- season one of conversations talking about um hyperscale networking and uh there's some more great articles that are coming out i know that christmas is coming up we're we're nine days away so hopefully you guys are in change freeze mode and you're not touching anything you need some content to consume Make sure you check out gestaltit.com for some things to read. Check out techfieldday.com if you've got a set of headphones in the office and you don't want to bother people with some of the nerdy discussions that we have over there. But remember that we're here to give you all the news and all the content that you can consume. And if you have any suggestions or if you want to hear any great topics, please make sure you to reach out to us. I'm Networking Nerd on Twitter. Of course, Steven is at SFoskett, Or you can just tweet at gestaltit and we'll definitely see that. Uh, But for now, for Steven and myself, we will be back next week with the last episode of The Rundown for 2020. So stay tuned for that. And we will see you next time and have a super sparkly day.